Now, you might have noticed that every week I put in the bulletin in this section right after the sermon a reading, an additional reading for further study. Maybe you haven't noticed that yet, but they've been there for several months now, probably about since the beginning of this calendar year. And the reason for this is that oftentimes I want to make sure you realize, right, that that I'm not just making stuff up here, okay? We always have our gospel reading and the main reading that I'm preaching on and that we read together, but more often than not, the themes that we cover are found other places in Scripture as well. And so if you look this morning at the text for additional reading, you might know exactly what this additional reading text is. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 13, 1 through 13. Now you might be saying, Pastor, 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 I know that verse because it was read at my wedding or at my friend's wedding, right? That's the famous wedding verse. Love is patient, love is kind, love is not boastful or arrogant. You know how it goes. You've heard it many times before. But did you know that this text wasn't originally written for a wedding. <laughs> no, not at all. The Apostle Paul, who penned these words, was writing to a church in Corinth about the importance of love in the midst of our walk as Christians. The importance of, that love plays in living out the faith that Jesus uh, taught us. And so that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. That's our theme. I have titled this sermon, Love changes everything. We're going to be looking at Luke chapter 12, verses 49 through 56. And I'll give you the heads up right now. When you first hear this verse, you're not going to think that it's about love, but just stay with me, okay? (laughs) Please join me in a word of prayer. May the words of my lips and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O God, my rock and my redeemer. Send your living word to walk amongst us now, to challenge our assumptions, to set our hearts ablaze, and to make us whole again. Amen. Amen. All right, open up those Bibles to Luke chapter 12, starting at verse 49. And I invite you to stand for this gospel reading. We stand out of reverence for the word being read in our presence, for the ways that the word walks among us as we hear this reading. Luke chapter 12, starting at verse 49. Jesus said, I came to bring fire to the earth, and how I wish it were already kindled. I have a baptism with which to be baptized, and what stress I am under until it is completed. Do you think that I have come to bring peace to the earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. From now on, five in one household will be divided, three against two and two against three, and they will be divided. Father against son, and son against father, and mother against daughter, and daughter against mother, and mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Jesus also said to the crowds, when you see a cloud rising in the west, you immediately say, it's going to rain, and so it happens. And when you see the south wind blowing, you say, there will be scorching heat, and it happens. You hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and sky, but why do you not know how to interpret the present time? Church, this is the good news, I promise. This is the good news. It's the gospel of our Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. (laughs) I know what you're all thinking after listening to that verse. I've been preaching from this pulpit for two years almost as your pastor, and and many times before that, as we well know. 
And I've covered lots of topics during my sermon, but I'm sure you're all itching to hear about this one topic that I haven't touched on yet. And well, the the wait is over, church, because the gospel reading that we heard this morning is perfect for a sermon about hellfire and brimstone, isn't it? I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Sorry to disappoint. And I mean, come on. I told you in the introduction that this sermon was going to be about love. And I know what you're thinking after hearing that gospel passage. How in the world is this sermon going to be about love? Well, the gospel reading was all about conflict and division, wasn't it? Jesus wants us all to fight, it sounds like. He's come to earth to bring fire and conflict and familial unrest. That doesn't sound like love at all, does it? Love is that gushy feeling that Hallmark cards talk about on Valentine's Day. Love is that romantic stuff that happens in all those Matthew McConaughey movies. Love is patient and kind and humble and greatest of all. Love is certainly not about family division and fire and brimstone. And you know, I'll agree with you on that point. I'll concede it. But I bet you'll agree with me on my next point. Love changes everything. I hear it all the time when I'm doing premarital counseling for couples that are going to get married. Couples will tell me how their life completely changed once they met their spouse. I know I personally had the same experience when I met my wife. I couldn't stop thinking about her and my entire life was transformed and changed through our relationship together. And I'm sure we've also all heard about how the birth of a child and the love that a parent feels for their newborn completely changes their world. And once again, I know this to be true personally. I'll always remember the day my oldest daughter was born and how I felt that seismic change taking place in my life. I was not the person I was before because of how much love and care I had for this small child. And the unfortunate truth, though, is also we also know how, how the loss of a loved one can turn our world upside down. The pain of loss changes how we view each day. Each moment is affected by the result of this loss of love in our life. You see what I'm saying? Love changes everything. And it's this type of earth-changing love that Jesus is talking about in our gospel passage this morning. Jesus is earnestly speaking to a crowd of people about his mission and his message. He's being very clear with those who are listening that he isn't just some other run-of-the-mill rabbi. He is the Messiah. And he has come to turn everything around. Jesus is on a mission to share with the world a love that is so inclusive and so radical that it will cause conflict and division. Jesus is on a mission to bring love to the world in a way that will change everything. But how do you know that, Pastor? How can you be so sure, you might be saying? It really doesn't seem like that's what Jesus is talking about in this reading here this morning. And I get it, I get it, you're right. If we just look at this small section of Scripture... And just take the words that Jesus says there for face value and ignore everything else. Well, then, yeah, it can be hard to see how this is about love. But that's just the thing. We actually have quite a lot of other information to look at in the scriptures that kind of fill in the details and the background. And we also have quite a bit of information about what Jesus actually did and what Jesus does 
changes the way we understand what Jesus says. Because that's just the thing, church. You can better understand a person's words by also looking at their actions. Let me say that again. You can better understand a person's words by also looking at their actions. Think about it. We've got people in in Congress who who will say that it's not the right time to talk about gun control. It's too soon after a tragedy to talk about gun control, they say. Don't politicize the tragedy, they say. But then those same lawmakers are the ones who will let a gun reform bill sit on their desk for months and months and months and not do anything. They're saying one thing, but their actions help us understand those words in an entirely different way. You see what I'm getting at? You can understand a person's words a whole lot better if you also look at their actions. When I preach, I realize that my words carry great value and importance. I choose them very, very carefully, and I also always try to make sure that what I say lines up also with what I strive to do every day. I try to be honest with you, right? I I, I make mistakes. I mess up, but I'm deeply committed to trying to be a person of integrity whenever I can. And so when I preach, I know that my words need to line up with my actions as best possible. I'm not going to tell you something that I don't personally believe. I'm going to admit to you those times when Jesus asks us to do something that I personally struggle with because I think it's absolutely essential that my words and my actions are in alignment or as close as possible. And the truth is that over the years, there's been a lot of damage done in our world and in our relationships and in our churches because people's actions and words haven't lined up. But perhaps the place where the most damage has been done is with Jesus himself. Many, many Christians throughout the course of history have taken individual phrases and words from Jesus, and they focused just on those isolated words without giving any consideration for Jesus' actions, or for the ways that Jesus' actions reveal something entirely different. People take the words of Jesus and they lift them out of their context, and in so doing, they totally ignore All of the actions of Jesus that oftentimes tell a completely different story. Take those difficult words that we heard in the gospel reading from Luke that I just read. They're tough words. And over the years, people have used these phrases from Jesus as a way to justify being divisive and being cruel and being elitist. But the truth is, is that Jesus' actions show something that couldn't be further from that. Look at his actions, if you would. Jesus said that he came to preach the kingdom of God. He says this very clearly in Luke chapter 4. This is why I was sent to preach the kingdom. He wants to tell people about the ways that the kingdom can come to earth as it is in heaven. And then Jesus went about healing the sick and eating with the outcasts. And Jesus spent a lot of time challenging the oppressive systems of his day. He spent a lot of time critiquing the alienating rules in the temple and the alienating rules in Rome. You see, when you look at all of Jesus' actions, that's when his words about division and fire make a whole lot more sense. Jesus wants the fire of the kingdom of God to come to earth so that it can purify this broken world. 
Jesus knows that God's ways of love and acceptance will greatly unsettle the current status quo. Jesus knows that his gospel of good news for the poor and freedom for the captive and the unbinding for the oppressed will not always be widely embraced and accepted. Think about that. Jesus' message really does cause division, doesn't it? Rome was divided when they heard Jesus telling everyone to serve God and not Caesar. The Pharisees were divided when they heard Jesus say that God's love and grace was stronger than all of the other complicated religious rules they had made up. Jesus came to bring division, but that's only because people are too protective of their own sinful ways of living, too protective to embrace Jesus' message of love and forgiveness and mercy and grace. And be honest with yourself. Jesus' message can cause division within you as well, can't it? I'm pretty comfortable with the way things are going these days. I don't need everything to change, Jesus. I'd much rather just stick with that hallmark Matthew McConaughey type of love we talked about earlier. Love that's warm and fuzzy where everybody just gets along and doesn't get in each other's way. Wouldn't that be nice? Hallmark might be all right with perpetuating love like this, but Jesus is not. Because that type of love won't change anything. That type of love just sits idly by, politely asking everyone to get along while all sorts of injustices and atrocities are taking place. Jesus wants us to foster a love for this world that is assertive and courageous and, yeah, at times divisive because, frankly, some things are worth fighting for. Martin Luther King Jr. was a divisive figure. So was Mother Teresa. And Oscar Romero and Desmond Tutu and Nelson Mandela and Dietrich Bonhoeffer and, yeah, even Jesus. But you know what else all of these people had in common? They were all loving beyond measure. All of these figures understood that we're called to love like Jesus did. We're called to be so compassionate, so generous, so caring of all people that the very world we live in starts to change. We're called to look honestly at our own biases and prejudices. Who are we trying to keep out? Who are we trying to put down? Because that's not the way of Jesus. And this church, this is where the divisions can rise up. Because some people are so dead set on keeping others out, they're so sure that Jesus only loves people who are just like them. But then when Jesus actually comes along and says that all are welcome, these narrow-minded people get all bent out of shape. Yes. In 2009, the Lutheran Church at its churchwide assembly made a decision that said that if a church wants to call a pastor who is in a same-gendered relationship, then that church can do it. That's fine. All are welcome in the ELCA, it said. And as a result of this decision made 10 years ago, hundreds of congregations left. Hundreds of people were divided by this decision. Simply because the church said that if someone wants to call a gifted pastor to serve them, and hundreds of people left as a result. And the truth is that this is nothing new. This happened in 2009, but it's been happening for thousands of years. The religious leaders in Jesus' day said that you had to do all these certain things in order to be clean. And then Jesus comes along and he eats with prostitutes. 
and he hangs out with tax collectors, and he touches and heals the lepers. And all of these loving actions from Jesus were ultimately what got him killed. Because the religious leaders couldn't handle it. They wanted to stay in their little box and keep everyone else out. What I'm trying to say is, church, Jesus' love changes everything. Jesus' love calls us to be more accepting, even more compassionate, more inviting, more loving than we might expect or than we might want. And you probably already know this. I can't be the first preacher to tell you that Jesus tells us to love our neighbors. But knowing something is not the same as living it out. Our words and our actions have to be in alignment. We know that Jesus commands us to love our enemies, to forgive those who persecute us, to invite in the stranger, and to accept and love people who are different than us. And yet... Either actively or passively, we all, myself included, perpetuate systems that divide. Systems that say we are in because of our merits. We're the ones that are good enough. But they're out because of their race, because of their politics, because of their choices, because of their sexuality. And I know it might upset you. I know it might cause divisions. But Jesus says that's not how it works. We don't get to decide who's in and who's out. Only God gets to do that. We don't get to decide. We don't get to just put up a wall or make a new rule just because we don't like someone. We can't bully our way if we don't get... We can't be bullies just because we don't get our own way. We can't believe that the only people who are allowed in our church are the ones who think and look and act like us. Because of Christ's world-changing love, a new system has been established. That includes everyone. It includes those people who are completely different than us. It includes those people who have wronged us. It even includes those people who we know don't deserve God's love. But you know who else it includes? Sinners like you and me. Imperfect people like you and me who have messed up and who have received God's forgiveness again and again and again. So thanks be to God for this love that at first may divide but that in the end unites us all and makes us whole. Thanks be to God for this love that changes everything. Amen.